Hi, everybody, and welcome to Unified, a podcast feed from First Church Belmont Unitarian Universalist. We'll be sharing sermons and stories, especially thematic content made new every week. We're so glad you're here, and for more information about who we are and opportunities to grow and deepen, swing by the church on Sundays or check out our website at uubelmont.org. And for now, enjoy this new content. Good morning, friends. I want to talk today about Valentine's Day. And this might seem like a strange time to choose to talk about this holiday, since my local CVS has already exchanged its pinks and hearts and ribbons and chocolates for greens and shamrocks of a different saint-inspired holiday. But it's in in part because of that that today, February 25th, is the perfect time to talk about Valentine's Day. If this is the holiday of love, then it shouldn't simply serve as the peak of love, with a rising action of love leading up to it and a decrease after, implying some antipodal low point of love at the opposite end of the year around (laughs) mid-August. After all, we don't look at New Year's Day as the day where the most self-improvement and the most planning and the most new beginnings take place. No, we take January 1st as an opportunity to set direction, to reset, to reflect and refocus on the year to come. And I want to talk about Valentine's Day the same way, as a New Year's Day of love. So now that the day of red roses and chocolates and all things heart-shaped has come and gone, this is the perfect time to take a step back, celebrate the forms of love that we have in our life, and also reflect on the types of love that may need some more nourishment in the months to come. As an acknowledgement, right off the bat, I will be saying the word love a lot this morning, to the point that on its own, the word likely loses any and all of its meaning. But that actually works fine because we only ever talk about love in a relative way. There's an uncountable number of types of love, each with a different story and a different feeling to them, but each with a common core. New love, old love, romantic love, familial love, passionate love, quiet love, unspoken love, young love, love songs, love birds, love triangles, one love, true love, love for nature, love for the community, love for the world. These are all different and unique experiences, but there's a core to these that we all recognize. In the UU tradition, in particular, there's a recognition of this very broad and general concept of love. A few years ago, in reflecting on their findings on the Article 2 study commission, the UUA published a brief article about how within the rich diversity of beliefs among UUs, the theological core uh, that is in common with all that participated was one of love. And in the words of the committee, We hold up the goal of a peaceful, free, and just world community as an expression of what love can and should bring into being, and we believe that our call to respect the interdependent web that we are a part of is an articulation of love and all that it is and our place and role within that web. So, Valentine's Day. One interesting thing about Valentine's Day, or St. Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine, uh, is that we don't know exactly which St. Valentine we're talking about, historically speaking. 
The earliest figure we know of that we can identify with that name and sainthood was in the mid-3rd century in Italy. But between then and now, we've had at least 11 St. Valentines, most of which associated with the February the 14th. So when you read stories about St. Valentine, these are often framed around a singular figure. But I like to believe that we are engaging with a whole history of St. Valentines, with each person and each story contributing their little piece to what we now call Valentine's Day today. And in that spirit, I have a few different stories that, about the holiday that I want to share this morning. All different, but all circling around a single ineffable feeling. Just like you use all believing something different, but circling around some fundamental thoughts that we can all relate to. So the first stories that you come across when you read about St. Valentine are the stories of a community benefactor and healer. He was said to have performed otherwise unsanctioned secret weddings to help soldiers escape conscription into the Roman army because married men were not allowed to serve. And as a side note, I've heard a lot of interpretations of this that imply that St. Valentine married these soldiers to each other, which is a really sweet little gay love story. Probably not the historical intention, but I like it. So I leave it as an exercise to the reader to choose which version you would like to accept as canonical. But for these clandestine weddings, Valentine was arrested and jailed in the house of a judge named Asterius, who had an adopted daughter who had been blinded. However, Asterius knew that St. Valentine was a skilled healer and said that if he could cure his daughter, then he could have whatever he wanted. And so, of course, the daughter was miraculously healed and St. Valentine went free. And the end of the story is gruesome and martyry, like all Catholic saint stories, but I want to focus on the core idea of this story, which is the idea of identifying needs in others that are within your power to fulfill. The young soldiers had a need to be freed from their martial lives and tend to their loves, and as a priest officiating weddings, St. Valentine had the ability to fulfill this need. And the daughter of Asterius was experiencing a medical affliction, which St. Valentine, as a doctor and healer, was able to alleviate. Both of these acts of generosity became hallmarks of the early Valentine's Day celebrations, starting in 496. Uh, in the province of Padua in Italy, a tradition emerged that still goes to this day of gifting keys on Valentine's Day, both as a romantic symbol to unlock and open the heart, but also as a charm for children, as a ward against plague and illness, in particular epilepsy, which was known in the region as St. Valentine's affliction for many years. I see the love represented in the St. Valentine story as a love born from generosity, a love of dedicating oneself and one's actions to the betterment of another's life is an inherent part of the Valentine story and the definition of love itself. So whether the generosity of the day inspires you to acts of charity or acts of gift-giving, there is no love without generosity. But, as with so many Catholic holidays, there's a second layer to it. We also need to examine the corresponding pagan holiday that was born to be in dialogue with. Christmas was not always celebrated in December, it was placed there to outshine Yule or Sol Invictus, as it was called at that time in Rome. Easter took both its time of year and its name in the English language from Ostara, the spring equinox. 
So while not officially acknowledged, it's likely that the celebration of St. Valentine's Feast on the 14th was not coincidentally contrasted with the pagan holiday of Lupercalia, which was traditionally celebrated on the 15th. So predating the first known celebrations of Valentine's Day by at least 800 years, Lupercalia was a festival celebrating the story of Romulus and Remus as children who were sheltered and nursed by a wolf who cared for the infants until they were big enough to care for themselves. And the ways in which Lupercalia was celebrated differ from account to account and are varied, but all revolve around symbolic representations of renewal and fertility. Lupercalia was a festival of exuberance and boisterousness, not from a place of excess, but from a communal shared joy in the sanctity of life. One particularly vivid image often associated with the holiday is that of the Luperci, priests who've dedicated their whole life to just this holiday, running naked through the streets counterclockwise around the Palatine Hill in Rome, foreheads anointed with goat blood and goat milk, laughing maniacally at the top of their lungs and swinging straps of goat leather at anyone in their path. And being struck by these straps was actually a good thing. Uh, it was said to bring good luck and fertility to those seeking it, and easy deliveries to expecting mothers. I would not recommend running down Kamav with bits of goat, but I still believe that we can take ideas from Lupercalia into account when framing Valentine's Day and love as a whole. Similar to the Catholic story of St. Valentine, Lupercalia celebrates acts of outward selfless generosity and caring. The story of Romulus and Remus is of a mother who took in children who were not just not her own, but not even her species. In an act of caring and love so broad and grand that it transcended humanity itself. And paralleling this, the priests running through the streets every February the 15th saw their ability to spread good luck, fertility, and health and childbirth as their act of service to the community which they specifically were called to. Where the essence of Lupercalia differs from the themes of St. Valentine is that in the Roman tradition, there's a strong feeling of collective emotion feeding off of one another. The celebrations began as a quiet formal ceremony in the cave where Romulus and Remus were said to have been cared for. And then the priests ran through the streets and the celebrations would spread further through the whole city and even other parts of Italy like an expanding wave of giddy revelry and feasting to celebrate the renewal of the world and the renewal of life itself. The kind of love celebrated in Lupercalia is not something purely personal or unidirectional. It's a kind of love that you put out into the world and that comes back to you tenfold. It's a love that is still generous but revels in and celebrates the generosity of everyone, not just in individuals. Lupercalia was technically banned in 391 when all non-Christian festivals were outlawed by Theodosius I, but that didn't stop the holiday from being immensely popular. A full century after the banning, the Pope was still writing public letters complaining about the pagan holiday and seeking to ban it, or at least put an end to it practically, but the Roman Senate urged him not to, 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 due to the value that the holiday had for the people of Rome in particular. And due to this tension, any version of the St. Valentine feast that would be wholly accepted by the people of Rome 
would have to at least in part represent the joy and love of Lupercalia. And that's exactly what happened. From then onwards, Valentine's Day was celebrated not only as a commemoration of a healer and a priest, but one that celebrates a much wider variety of kinds of love. One source often cited as an early example of acknowledging Valentine's Day as a holiday of romantic love, as well as collective joy, is Geoffrey Chaucer's medieval poem, uh, Parliament of Fowls. This poem tells the story of Scipio the Elder, and he's dreaming, and he passes through the Temple of Venus and finds literal personifications of love and beauty mingling with famous lovers of history, such as Pyramus, Thisbe, Helen, Paris, Tristan, Isolde, as well as figures that represent motherly love or love for a whole nation of people, such as Semiramis of Assyria and the wolf mother of Romulus and Remus. And he passes through the temple and he climbs a grassy hill. And on top of that hill, there's a goddess simply known as Nature, who looks across her kingdom and there observes for this was on St. Valentine's Day, when every bird comes there to choose his match of every kind that men may think of, that so huge a noise they began to make, that earth and air and tree and every lake was so full that not easily was there space for me to stand, so full was all the place. The imagery conjures up a Lupercalian scene so full of life and love that it displaces everything else in the world. And to be clear, this was written to celebrate a Catholic royal wedding in the 14th century. This was written to be a deeply devout and sincere celebration of all that love could be. One image commonly associated with love, just across the ages and across cultures, is that of the honeybee. They are a symbol of Aphrodite to the point that in her temples, priestesses would be called melissae or bees. And in the Hindu tradition, the god Kama wielded a floral bow and a string made of beeswax. And sure enough, St. Valentine was also considered the patron saint of bees and beekeepers. I find bees really fascinating. In particular, something I'm taken by is that depending on the context, it blurs the definition of what it means to be an individual organism. A single bee eats and drinks and lives and dies just like an individual, but for other attributes, a single bee is just a component. The hive as a whole has moods, has measurable changes in health, and has collective goals. A single bee takes single actions, but only as a community are the effects of those actions felt. So the symbol of love across cultures and across histories is also a symbol of interconnectedness with the people right beside you and also a connection to the people beside them and the people beside them and the people beside them. This is a love practiced by a community for a community. Sometimes love is as simple as buying someone flowers and chocolates. Sometimes love is no more than sharing in someone's silence. Sometimes love is St. Valentine healing the blind and sometimes love is all of Rome going wild for a fertility festival for a day and a night. Sometimes it is in the grace and care that we show ourselves and have for ourselves. And sometimes, like the honeybee, it is on a scale so much broader than that of a single person. 
I love Valentine's Day. At a time of year when the winds are still cold, the days are still short, and springtime is just barely still out of sight, it is a wonderful opportunity to make sure that love is renewed and centered in my life. Love for my wonderful spouse, love for my family, love for all of you here today with me this morning, love for the people who I have the ability to help or bring joy to, like my namesake, love for the people who have done so for me, and love for the people whose lives have not yet crossed paths with mine. Not just on February the 14th for Valentine's Day itself, not just on the 15th to honor the Lupercalian origins of the day, not just March 25th or May 3rd or May 23rd or any of the other days that festivals celebrating love are taking place all the world over, but all year round. Until this time next year, all over again. And so on that note, I'd like to end with a quote from Reverend Isabel Carter Hayward. Love does not just happen. We are not love machines, puppets on strings of a deity called love. Love is a choice, but not necessarily or simply a rational choice, but rather a willingness to be present to others without any pretense or guile. Love is a conversion to humanity, a willingness to participate with others in the healing of a broken world and broken lives. Love is the choice to experience life as a member of the human family, a partner in the dance of life, rather than as an alien of the world or as a deity above the world apart from human flesh. Love is a choice. <laughs>